Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. From KCBS Radio, I'm Mallory Samara, and this is Bay Current for Friday, March 11th. Here on the UC Berkeley campus, love is in the air. 300 feet above the roaming students and faculty members, on top of the famous bell tower or Campanile, are Annie and Grinnell, Berkeley's hottest couple. Annie and Grinnell are two peregrine falcons and they've lived atop the Campanile since 2016. A few months after scientists at UC Berkeley first observed the two falcons setting up a territory on top of the bell tower, they installed a temporary nest box to encourage their nesting efforts, which then turned into a permanent nest box in order to protect the couple's fledgling chicks from the weather. Thanks to a successful crowdfunding campaign, scientists were able to install a couple of webcams up there to keep a closer eye on them and to observe the falcons. This also gave the public a chance to follow their lives. Fast forward six years, and a handful of chicks later, Annie and Grinnell have become internet famous with over 8,000 Instagram followers from across the globe. Peregrine falcons are the world's fastest animal and are technically so-called cosmopolitan birds, meaning they're found all over the world. So why'd they choose a loud bell tower in the middle of Berkeley? What have ornithologists and scientists observing Annie and Grinnell learned about them since they landed here and decided to stay six years ago? I caught up with two of the volunteer scientists keeping an eye on them right on the UC Berkeley campus under a blue and sunny sky in front of the Campanile. I'm Mary Malik. I'm a volunteer with East Bay Regional Park District and Golden Gate Raptor Observatory and Predatory Bird Research Group. I monitor raptor nests kind of all over the Bay Area and this is one of them. I'm Alan Fish. I'm the director of the Golden Gate Raptor Observatory, which is part of the Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy. And my main job is um, coordinating a community science project around the fall migration of raptors over the Marin Headlands every every fall. And uh, an incredible project that we have with the biggest raptor migration in California. Annie and Grinnell were named after two instrumental figures at UC Berkeley's Museum of Vertebrate Zoology. Annie Montague Alexander uh, was the founder of the MUC, right? And Grinnell was one of her first hires. So um, we decided it would, it, it, it's 
it's an appropriate name, Annie Grinnell, to just get the MVZ and the history of, of UC Berkeley in with the names. In 1970, the peregrine falcon was actually listed as an endangered species, disappearing from much of their range following World War II due to the widespread use of the pesticide DDT. The way it accumulated in their bodies reduced calcium and therefore thinned out their eggs, making them easily breakable. There may be no better story of how a museum like the Museum of River Zoology can contribute to the the future conservation of an animal, as it was that these egg collections that were made and stuck in museums all through the 18th century and the 19th century and were thought to be just old collections of eggs actually became the source of information to how DDT was thinning the eggs. And because we had collection of eggs at MVZ that preceded 1948, when DDT became a thing, then we could look at those and compare post-DDT to pre-DDT, pre-1948 eggs and see that eggs had indeed thinned and that that was the root cause of DDT. Exterminating peregrines from the eastern U.S., almost exterminating them from California, and and hitting other birds too, brown pelicans, osprey, bald eagles. So the museum importance in this story is huge. Which brought me to my next question. Why do you think here then, um, UC Berkeley campus, like why the Campanile? Why, why is this the chosen location for them? Yeah, so so there, there's um, home home for peregrine falcon is everything. That meaning that it's um, it's their it's their survival, um, it's their reproduction. They need to have a, a, a solid location to, to call a nest site. And the nest site for peregrine falcon is really specific. It's a cliff. It's a cliff with a place that it can, that the peregrines can nest inside of a cavity in the cliff, dig out a little soft hole, and not be threatened by ground predators, raccoons, um, foxes, bobcat, whatever. And, and also hopefully be out of the way of humans. So um, cliff, uh, view, of, view of open water, Big open sky, birds flying by as prey. Peregrines are bird-eating raptors. So can you imagine a better place? And, and actually, what the funny thing is, is this tower was built in 1914. Yeah. Peregrines were nesting on the Bay Bridge and in downtown San Francisco as early as 1992, 93. We, we had a pretty strong local urban peregrine nesting population by the late 90s. 1999, they were taken off the endangered species list because they were doing so well. And so not till 2017 did they decide that the Campanile, which looks like it was made for a peregrine falcon nest site, I mean, except for the noisy bells, which they don't seem to care about, it, it just says perfect site. And again, one of the great things for us as both biologists but also wanting to share this experience is they're up high enough that humans can't disturb them from here. There are cliff sides that we we would never want to take public to because the peregrines would be so disturbable. Being 300 feet up on this tower means that we can't impose ourselves on them, mostly. Little problem with drones. In late February, Annie gave everyone a scare when she left her nest for a week which is unusual behavior for a peregrine falcon. 
they tend to make their nesting locations permanent, so her absence left bird experts and volunteers with some dark assumptions, and talk of possible injury or death stunned followers. But she eventually came back, giving experts relief, and honestly, leaving them pretty flabbergasted. What was the first thing that you thought of when she kind of left and didn't come back for a little bit? Um, there have been periods of time where we haven't seen them. I mean, we know that their territory is bigger than this tower. Uh, we know of places, other, other places on campus where they perch and places in downtown Berkeley. So it wasn't that unusual for her not to be seen on camera. Um, you know, we could probably name, out of the breeding season, other longer periods of time. What was most unusual was that four or five floaters, adults and juveniles, came through and landed and some of them stayed. And wow. that, was the, that was the indication that something was wrong. Um, and then we don't, we still don't, I don't think we know really what was going on. Um, you know, we, we, we went to the dark side after a while. She was gone a week, and then we assumed she had died. Yeah. Um, and then she showed up looking perfectly good. Yeah. There are a couple of other theories. Um, she had another mate somewhere and was choosing another territory. Mm. Um, she had chosen another ledge on this territory and was staying with Grinnell. But, you know, Grinnell is taking the opportunity he has with these other floaters as he, he needs to. Yeah. I mean, his imperative is to, to breed. Yeah. Um, so female floaters also, you have male and female floaters, yeah. is that right? It's yeah. not just one. We've had, we've had male floaters. Annie, when, when, um, when Grinnell was in the hospital, um, there was a male here who was doing all the all all kinds of pair bonding behavior with Annie. Yeah. So, yeah, they both they they're both out there and they know what's going on. Yeah, and they they'll take advantage of it. Yeah, and it's doing what they what they should be doing. Yeah, they are monogamous, um, but if something happens to one of them, uh, if a, if a peregrine dies, one of the pair, they have been replaced overnight. Um, we know when, when Grinnell ended up in, injured and in the hospital that I came that night, I think, or the next, the next day, and we saw peregrines here with Annie. So there are floaters at the peripheries of probably every good territory waiting to come in. And we, we often don't see them or we don't give them a lot of credit, but they're doing what they need to do um, to give themselves the opportunity to breed. So as long as everything's okay and there's two of them, yeah, they're monogamous, but they're mostly wedded to their site. We, we kind of joke about it's very easy in our human vernacular to call those, those floaters, which is the official bird biology name, interloper or invader or something that's kind of demeaning. But the truth is, that's it shows how important these nest site locations are mm -hmm. and it really goes back to that's the way peregrines have been doing it forever and many other raptors too that they there's a an adult population that doesn't have a nest site that's sort of knocking on doors going 
hey, did your spouse die yesterday? Because <laughs> I'm free. And yeah. it's, it's sort of make, we can make jokes about it, but it's yeah. actually a really functional and old system that wow. shows the importance of the location. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I said on the Instagram, I saw that maybe I, that there was a drone incident, right? You guys saw a drone hanging around about here and it's technically not allowed here on campus. Um, do you think that that is something that that might be playing a part into her sometimes this inconsistent behavior? I, I, it, it, we've, it's First of all, the drone a few weeks ago was, was one, but I think there have been actually been two or three in the last month. There have been there have been at least two and yeah I think three I think I, I, I think three in the, that we know of for yeah sure. and those are the ones we know about we know about yeah so I, I I would guess that drone use has been pretty consistent yeah. over the last few years and that they've actually done okay in spite of it I'm not saying it's good for them right it, it create it's a, it's for sure you know, you know think about it you own the sky everything probably a <laughs> hundred feet up to 400 feet is the peregrine's domain and anything We've we've been together where suddenly a peregrine eyeball goes up and we all put our binoculars up and we yeah. can barely see the golden eagle. It's yeah. just way like got to be six hundred feet in the air. And they've been following it for a mile. Yeah. And you know we don't know about it. We wouldn't have known about it if we hadn't followed the peregrine. So the sensitivity yeah. to anything aerial around is really high. They have. Uh, accumulated quite a bit of followers online, uh, over 8,000. Um, why do you think people are so interested in in what they're up to up here on top of the Campanile? Um, I think we had a perfect storm. Uh, you know, we started working on this, I think the first cameras went up in 2018, and we put one camera up and then two cameras up in 2019 then COVID hits and um, we're all depressed, we're all stuck in our houses what a wonderful thing to have this glimpse of, of a natural system I don't mean to say system, what a stupid word a family, a family, <laughs> a family of birds that's doing their lives that has nothing to do with COVID and it's one of the most free flying birds in the world found all over the planet and migrates from the Arctic to, to Tierra del Fuego. I mean, the, the, the bigness of the peregrine story and, and recovered from DDT. Yeah. There's just so many levels of, of just wonderful majesty and, and, and excitement for this. And then you get to turn on a camera. I'm sure that we've both done this. You leave the camera on your, on all day, on your computer, your laptop, your te your television, mm -hmm. and and all day long you hear those the talking noises, you hear the the screams, you run in to see what the food is. I mean, it's and and we're the biologists, but imagine just for anybody, you suddenly get to be that intimate. A peregrinus as Mary was mentioning before, are in these remote locations and, and they're protected from a lot of human activity. Mm -hmm. um, rock climbers don't get to use the rock for the five months that they're nesting and, and they're create, special boundaries are created to keep them from being disturbed. But here is this wonderful, intimate situation. And, and as, as Mary also said before, there's there are other peregrine nest cameras, but there's something about the quality of cameras that we were able to put up with the help of a, a wonderful raptor biologist named Dr. Peter Sharp 
um, whose profession is setting up remote cameras on eagles and peregrines and other interesting birds. I mean, it's really what he does to yeah. make them available. It's, so It's not just that he understands the, the technical aspects of the camera and the sound and the wiring. He understands raptors. Mm. So he knows he knows what's not too close, and he knows he knows where they're likely to sit. Yeah. Um, he's done some really remarkable work. What has been each of your biggest takeaway studying Annie and Grinnell here? Think, think, think. One of them, something no. that stood out to you. We don't know. <laughs> it's, it's happening right now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We don't. We don't know. We don't know a thing. <laughs> yeah. When Annie showed up after 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 Annie's gone for a week, um, we decide after about six days that we should let the public know that Annie may not be with us on the planet anymore. We don't know. Yeah. We know we don't know. Um, and then the morning that that hits the news, and Annie is back on screen staring at the camera. <laughs> Um, the first text Mary put out was, we don't know any, I think you said I, I don't know anything. I, said, I mean, yeah. she's got 30 years of studying peregrines under I her said, belt. I don't know anything I said, about. do we know nothing peregrines. about peregrines? <laughs> I loved it. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a reminder that, that, um, I, we, we are, we are very, you know, here we are in the University of California, this incredible institution of higher learning. We know many things about many things, but the truth is, is when we open the door to this wild animal world and the relationship between species and the relationship between birds and place and things, we know very little. We know very little. And um, it, we have so, so much to learn. Thanks to Ellen Fish and Mary Malik and the following institutions for their work with the Cal Falcons. And there are a lot of them. We are both really privileged to be, no, no one's getting paid to work on the Cal Falcons team. Um, and that's as, as it should be. And it's, um, we're both really lucky to be in this community that involves, um, and I just want to go through the list. The, um, we've got an incredible list of biologists from different organizations who are just doing this out of love. It includes East Bay Regional Parks, um, the Institute for Bird Populations, the Golden Gate Raptor Observatory, which is part of the Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy, the Santa Cruz Predatory Bird Research Group, um, the Institute for Wildlife Populations, and the Museum of Vertebrate Zoology at the University of California. So it's a really exciting um, and fun group and wonderful that we were, uh, the exchange of information is high and the opportunity to then send that. Yeah, sorry, did I not mention you? And, and yeah, there's this crow. <laughs> You can check out Annie and Grinnell's daily shenanigans at calfalcons.berkeley.edu or on their YouTube channel and on their Instagram at cal underscore falcons. New episodes of Bay Current are out every day, and we'd love to be a part of your daily routine. Please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or just about anywhere you listen. We're also on YouTube, on the KCBS Radio YouTube page. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Mallory Samara. We'll chat with you again on Monday. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 